Hey, everybody, it's Saturday, December 11th, and you are listening to the Pure Capital Podcast. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about startups. So it's the third or the second week of the month. And in the second week of the month, we talk about startups. So this this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking specifically about product development. So what does it take to get that first product to market? What does a minimum viable product actually mean? And, and how do you engage your customers quick and early on. And then we're just going to going to kind of break down how do you how do you do that? How do you get into that? How do you find that product that's out there or start to put that product in place um, both from a tech world all the way through to brick and mortar stores and, and real estate? How do you make that happen? So, I'm here as always with James Carnes. James, hop on man. How you doing today? Doing great, Norm. Enjoying some uh, sixty degree plus weather in West Virginia in December, so it's a it's a, it's a good day for sure. But excited to uh, talk about uh, you know minimum viable product, getting the first product out the door. Uh, as as everyone knows, I'm a big startup guy, and uh, not gonna lie, I always get a, a little extra excited for these episodes when we do a startup one. So I'm I'm pumped for today's episode. <laughs> that's uh that's good because you're the one who's supposed to be bringing the heat during these episodes so if you weren't getting a little bit more fired up about these ones i'd be disappointed in you james <laughs> that's fair that's fair i love it well awesome let's kind of jump right into it um you know it's for all the listeners as you guys know um you know i'm co-founder cto of iconic air um especially early on in iconic air or any software startup journey uh, oftentimes the CTO or even just all founders in general are pretty much hands on deck, right. In terms of building, uh, building product. And I know building product is, we kind of sling that term around all the time, but the term building product is, you know, adaptable across any industry for us with iconic air. It means we're building, you know, a software feature. So that's, you know, something new that we're building that our customers who log in and use our platform, can get some sort of tangible value from, um, you know, if you're building product and let's say, you know, in Norm's example, let's say you're in real estate, right? Building product in real real estate means, you know, building your portfolio, going out and getting a new uh, product added to your portfolio. That's going to maybe be a little bit different. Um, like we talked about last week with short-term rentals that will be different in your portfolio and add a new value or new perspective, you know, to your customers or people that want to use or rent out your properties. If you're uh, more of a brick and mortar, let me just say a small business, if you're a bakery shop, you know, building product is just making some muffins or, or bread or cookies or whatever. Um, and hopefully adding new products or things along the way as you grow as a business um, to add new value, you know, to customers or maybe get a new, new palette that they didn't know they, they had for, for in case of, of favorite treats. So you'll hear the term building product thrown around a lot today. Um, and just remember that at its core, it's it's not anything specific to any type of business or industry. It just means that you're building something that you believe, you know, that that customers want, um, and that will hopefully add some some new value to them. Um, but as you know, in the intro, Norm to jump into it, Norm talked about a minimum viable product. Um, you know, that stands for essentially just MVP is is the acronym that folks uh, you know like to throw around a lot. It's a very very big term. In the startup world, if you go to any startup incubator, boot camp, accelerator, founder networking meeting, anything, just anything in startups, everyone's going to, especially early stage startups, everyone's going to say, you know, hey, you guys have an MVP or what's your MVP or how's your MVP doing? 
Um, and so it's, it's something that is thrown around quite a bit in the industry. And so I just want to put like a, I, I did a quick Google before we, we got on here, Norm, I did a quick Google search. I was like, you know, let's just get a Google definition for, for what minimum viable product is. And then I'll kind of put my own little spin on it here, but in short and clear terms, a uh, minimum viable product is a product with enough features to attract early adopter customers and validate a product idea early in the product development life cycle. And really what that just means is it's a product that has, you know, you're, it's like trimming all the fat, right? It's, you're not wasting time on things that people you think may want and may not want. You have a very clear and concise, you know, bullet list of items of maybe a couple things or, or five things or more that you are very confident that customers will get some sort of value from. And you're packaging that into the product and then giving that to the product, giving that to the customer and seeing what they say about it. Uh, that's really what an MVP is. And it, in, it just allows for quick iterative feedback. You know, if I'm selling a product and Norm is my customer or potential customer of mine, if I build a product for, let's say, six months without talking to Norm or talking to anyone else who would be a potential customer, how do I know that what I'm building is actually bringing value to them? Like Norm might hate my product. I, you know, I could build something and, um, and give it to him a month in and he might hate it or, or not get any value from it. And then that sends me the signal, wait, actually what we thought we knew about customers like Norm who wanted this product is actually wrong. Now we're going to go back to the drawing board and create a new feature or add a new business value to the product and then go back to Norm and then hopefully normal see some value from it. And you keep doing that time and time and time again. Um, and, and that's really what an MVP is. It's this super compact product that allows you to iterate as fast as possible to be able to engage, uh, you know, with customers and really see if your early product is giving you the feedback or, or providing the value for the customers the way that you think it is. I, I think that's such a, man, that is so, so key, both, um, in the startup world, but really in anything that you're, that you're doing. I mean, I have seen so many businesses get so wrapped around the axle on trying to create this perfect product. You know, we spend all this time, we spend years even sometimes to put together the perfect product that we're going to bring to market and we're going to launch and everybody's going to love it. And then when they launch it, it falls flat. They spent all that time. They wasted all that effort. They, introduced it to the market, it completely fell fat, flat and they had to go back to the drawing board anyway. So um, I, I just love the idea and I love the, the thought process around, you know, create that MVP, make sure that it's small and compact and then rely on your customer for the feedback. Um, you know, we, we underestimate that so much, I think. The customer will tell you what they want. All you have to do is ask them. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, the point that you made with with companies or groups that you've seen do it, it's it's so fascinating because those groups uh, or organizations probably had, you know, very large budgets and very padded pockets to where they could send, you know, one, two, three years on, you know, building a product um, and just kind of hiring a team of 10 folks to go heads down on it. Um, and so it's fascinating because, you know, in the, in the journey of startups, it's probably a couple founders with very limited to no money at all. And so that's why it's almost like 
early stage startups are forced to do it. Like you can't even, some startups, even if you wanted to, you can't even say, Hey, we're going to work on this for a year and a half and put our heads down. And uh, you know, we'll see what the product, how it turns out in a year and a half from now. Cause most of those startups don't even have, uh, you know, a barely enough runway for uh, three or four months, maybe, or some, you know, are lucky if they have six early on. So that is fascinating. It's almost like, uh, you know, as I'm talking about, it's just interesting that you're almost like throwing yourself in the fire as an early stage startup and, and just testing, uh, see if you see if you come out the other side, basically, because you, you don't have all the resources that a larger company might have. Um, so that's definitely a, an interesting point, Norm. Yeah. And, and James, I think it's, you know, kind of the true entrepreneurial way too, right? I mean, like you, to be a good entrepreneur, you have to get out and you have to understand what the market actually is after and, and you have to introduce things to them and then adapt. And those who are able to adapt uh, quickly and effectively and, and put new product out that meets those needs are the ones who succeed and grow into those bigger companies where they have a little bit more time. But it, it just, uh, I, I think it's a way, an effective way of going about the entrepreneurial way. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think something, um, you know, that, that's interesting is um, like when it comes to MVP, a lot of folks get tripped up on, well, like, what does that actually mean for my business? Uh, and this is something that I really wanted to to jump in the weeds on a little bit because, you know, w- with Iconic, uh, you know, we are a software company that sells business to business software. So that just means that, you know, we're selling software to other businesses. So we don't really sell software directly to consumers or individuals. Um, and so because of that, it's, it's, it's been interesting in our MVP journey. You know, a lot of times uh, the things that a business would care about in a, in a early product, you know, is completely different than some of the things that, you know, an everyday consumer might care about um, and as an example, like an app, like Facebook. Right. Uh, and so it's just interesting Like you really, I've talked with other founders or people and, uh, everyone kind of has their own little bit of a definition of what their MVP is. But if you're a founder listening, you're starting your own business. I think it's super important to understand like where your product falls in terms of the industry that it's in and how the people in your industry uh, perceive the product. Because what I've realized and what I've seen is that as you go, the expectations of your customers is really what's going to drive how good your, your MVP is going to be. Uh, and by this, I just mean, you know, 10 years ago, uh, let's say Facebook's MVP or however long ago when, when they were early, if their MVP was literally just a profile picture and account and the ability to post an update to friends and family, right? At that time, that was in the world like revolutionary and groundbreaking. And that was a heck of an MVP uh, to the point, right, where Facebook had just continued to grow and build features and add on things. Now, if you were a startup founder and you were trying to build some sort of social media app, if you were to just have those same, you know, core features that Facebook's MVP had 10 to 12 years ago, and you did that today in 2021, it's, you know, it's really not going to be impressive or it's not going to add any new value to any of your customers. They're going to kind of look at it and be like, well, wait, you have like a profile picture and you can post updates, but what about like all the other stuff that Facebook already has? Like, why don't you have that stuff too? So I think it's super important to be aware of like what your customers are expecting for your MVP. Uh, because oftentimes we we sometimes as founders or, or uh, entrepreneurs have this like fixation in our head of like, well, I feel like if we built this, then this is what our customers really want. 
But until you actually confirm and validate that with a customer, it's really all just BS in your head. <laughs> it's just kind of a, a hypothesis that, that has to be tested and validated. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. So when you're going through that kind of testing and validation process, and maybe you're going to get into this later, so uh, feel free to defer to later if you if you want to, but how do you actually gather that that feedback? Is it is it through putting that MVP, just you put it out there and you um, pull back all that data? And then my kind of second question is, you know, from industry to industry, uh, you said that you're in B, in B two B, right? Like, who? How do you go about defining who your actual customer is that you're working for? You know, in in B two B, there's so many different levels to that. Um, is your customer the CEO, or is your customer the you know safety coordinator um, in that in that group? How do you go about kind of? Thinking? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'll kind of answer it in two parts. The first part being the B two B part. Uh, that's extremely important when you are building a B2B company. Uh, as you said, you know, you could have a customer who the customer of your product is the CEO, or you could have a product where the customer of your product is a, you know, technician out in the field uh, using your, you know, your application. Oftentimes what you'll find is that in B2B, eventually it will be both uh, because just of the natural way that value is, is essentially kind of, perceived across a company, um, you'll usually have some sort of product that has, you know, multiple aspects of, of people that it will benefit within a company. I think for us, what's been important to understand when, when really diving into, I, I mean, as you can imagine, right, these, some of these organizations in, in B2B, you're getting into massive organizations, thousands of employees, a huge organizational, uh, you know, org, org chart. And you have to figure out like who, do I actually sell the product too? And, and, and we could do a whole another episode, honestly, on, on things like what customer archetypes are and, and how to dive in and really understand that. And we probably will at some point, but at a high level, essentially you have to figure out, you know, who's actually going to be using the product. So let's say in our case, it's, you know, for one of the example, one of our examples of our mobile application is people using the product are the actual field technicians out in the field, collecting emissions data. But the interesting thing about it is that those same people who are using the product aren't the same people who are purchasing the product. So now as a startup, we have to understand and say, okay, well, we know who like one of our main users is and the, the, the pain points that they have that we're trying to solve for them. But they're also not the decision maker when it comes to buying it. So now how do we figure out who the purchase decision maker is when it comes to buying a new product? And then that's when you have to figure out like, oh, okay, maybe it's the COO, maybe it's the VP of business development, maybe it's a VP of, of, uh, sustainability for, for iconic. Uh, and so you, and, and then you have all the other people that come around it and you have influencers and, and early evangelists within a company and all these aspects. So it is super important. I think the main things to focus on when you're really focusing on MVP is like, who's going to be using it and then who's going to be buying it. And if those people are the same, then that's great. You've already got both of them. If they happen to be different, you have to figure out you know, what, what each one of them are. Um, and then in terms of your other question, Norm, with, with the just product of how do you kind of know or find that like customer for your product uh, or know kind of what industry or segment you're in. I think at the end of the day, you have to really take time and, and just like get in this mental space and really understand who are you building for? 
And then once you figure out who you're building for, you can start to understand that person's role, whether it's like a, a customer, right? As an example, if I'm building a, if I'm going to build an MVP of a fitness app and this fitness app is going to help people do at-home fitness easier because of COVID or whatever, um, right? Then I need to put myself in my mind, think, okay, who, who is going to actually be using this app? It's probably going to be, you know, a range and variety of people. But the one thing that they'll all have in common is they're working out in their house. And then you can continue to backtrack from there and you can realize, okay, in this case, the person who's also doing the workout or using the product is also the same person who's going to be buying the product or buying my app in the app store, signing up for a subscription. So that's, that's great. And now you know that. So now you can figure out what are the main things that you're going to build for them early on that you think is going to give them enough value to where they'll actually pay you or use your product. And then you can see that once you've nailed that down, you're like, okay, these people are in a general consumer space. And so now you've landed in kind of a, you know, building a product that's targeted towards consumer. And then that kind of opens the door of like all the standards you can do of understanding common things that people do in, you know, products that are marketed or, or built for consumers. And then you can do the same thing on the B2B side, right? If you're an early startup and you're doing, um, you're building a product and, you know, like for us, we were, we quickly realized that everything we were building was for people who worked at oil and gas companies. And so we right away were a B2B early on and have over time continued to iterate and figure out, you know, who's actually using the product, who's getting value from it, who is the person that's actually paying for it or making that decision. Um, and then once you can get that, you can kind of backtrack and understand similar to how I, I just mentioned with the consumer side of it. Very good. I, I like it. Good, good answers. Um, so with that, sorry to derail you there a little bit. Let's dive back into what you, what you were going down the path you were going down. Oh, you're fine. I, I love, uh, love, love questions and, and, uh, just diving in. But next, the next thing I wanted to cover was really just giving examples of, uh, of MVPs in, in different industries. Uh, because like I said, you know, an MVP for, any startup can be different just depending on what you're building. Um, and, and then I kind of wanted to essentially walk through that process of once you have your MVP, what, you know, what do you actually do with it and how do you get that feedback and actually make decisions? Um, so the first one I just, I'll talk through is a software example and, you know, naturally because Iconic's in software, I'll, I'll, I'll use uh, Iconic as an example. Um, but, you know, early on when we were building the product, we essentially, you know, Kyle and I came together and we, we just put our brains together and said, okay, we know that we want to help oil and gas companies, uh, you know, find leaks or better aggregate their emissions data so they can use it to make other decisions. We just didn't exactly know what quote unquote hair on fire problem they had when it came to that stuff. And so by that, I mean, like, what is the problem that our customers were facing that would keep them up at night or that, you know, when they would come to work, it's the thing that's always on their mind. If you can fight, figure out what that is and solve that problem as your main feature with your MVP, you're already setting yourself up, you know, to, to have good success and to get early users and then continue to iterate. So we came together, we, you know, oftentimes this is a big storyboarding session or a big whiteboard session where you're just trying to get everything you'd understand and know about a customer or a company or someone you've already had interactions with and figure out like, what is the, their hair on fire problem? And oftentimes you're doing this after you've started to talk to users, right? So there was a while where all Kyle and I would do early on was we would just call 
different people in the industry or go to conferences and talk to folks in, in, in at conferences just to get a general understanding of, of the problems, the main problems in the industry and, and the hair on fire problems. So then we came back to the drawing table after collecting all this, you know, customer data essentially. And then we said, okay, this, you know, one thing is the kind of core underlying commonality we see in the data. And then we started to build towards that. And then that's where a little bit more on my side came in where it's like, okay, we know what the business value is that we have to uh, create to add value to these folks. Now, what do we need to do from a product standpoint, a technical standpoint to actually build the product that will provide that value? And then from there, it's just a race against time, right? And you're building product around the, the clock. Um, and then once you get that MVP done, you're then going back to all those people you already talked with and you're saying, hey, hey, look at this thing that I built. You know, it's solved this problem that you were talking about. Um, and then some people will say, oh, they'll use it and they'll say, oh, this is awesome. Like this solves exactly the problem that I was looking for. You know, how do I sign up or how can I use this or how can I pay to have, you know, add this to, to my business? Or other times, you know, and, and oftentimes people will say, you know, like, this is cool, but I don't really think it solves my problem the way that you thought it did. Right. And then you take that feedback and you go back to the drawing board and you just keep doing that and iterating and iterating and iterating uh, until you land on what's called, you know, product market fit. Uh, and product market fit, uh, or PMF is what we call it in, in, uh, in the startup world. You can see there's obviously a lot of acronyms in, in every industry, but um, product market fit is essentially after you've done all these iterations on your MVP and your product, you've gotten the product to a point where you have, you know, a couple or a decent amount of paying customers and recurring users who are consistently using your product, uh, at least in software, right? They're consistently logging in. They're consistently checking things in the platform to make decisions for their business. And once you get that, then you realize and understand like, okay, we've actually solved this problem for, you know, five or 10 customers and they're paying us a couple thousand dollars a month each or a couple hundred bucks a month each to solve this for them. Now, how do we take that and then scale it to the rest of the people in their industry or the rest of the customers in our target markets? And then once you do that, that's where you really start to transition out of kind of being an early stage, uh, you know, company and you really start to blossom and you, you're probably hiring on more people and more and raising more funds from investors and all that. Um, but I won't go too far into that part, but that's kind of where the MVP really starts to transition from being this kind of early rougher version of the product to something where you've really ironed out what your customer wants. You validated that. And now you really just have to scale it across, um, you know, other customers or other segments in, in the industry. Um, but I would be curious, Norm, I, the next one I want to give an example of was real estate. And I'd be curious to hear just after, uh, you know, we've talked offline, I know before about just MVPs and that type of stuff, but even just after we talked about it on the podcast, I'd love to hear kind of what your thoughts are around, you know, wh what do you think an MVP or some form of a minimum viable product looks like, uh, when you're in the, the world? Yeah. Um, so I, the thing that I'm going to focus on actually is the, the short-term rental market, because I think that's probably the best example that I can give because at, in my business at Haven Holdings, I mean, we are doing, we are doing this exact same thing continuously. We're actually infamous for going into a market and closing on a property and having that property listed, ready to rent uh, within one day of that closing. So, you know, we can't do that without, without having a basic minimum viable product that we're going to bring to market 
um, for people to work with. So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll, I mean, we'll do some planning as we get closer and closer to closing, you know, obviously real estate things are a little bit, a little bit slower, um, from the standpoint of, you know, once you have an offer in on a property, I mean, it's probably going to be a month before you're through all your due diligence and you get to a point where you're actually closing on that property. So you have some time to plan, but usually, um, especially if it's a new market for us, we will get that product up and running. So we'll get that house up and running. We'll put in all the minimum things that meet our criteria for starting a, for starting a property or for having a property listed. Um, and I talked to go back to the last podcast and kind of listen through that. I talked about some of those different things in that, in that podcast, but we won't necessarily, um, put in a lot of glitz and glamour right at the beginning or a lot of like major attributes. So when I'm talking to what I'm talking about here is like things like say, um, adding a hot tub or adding a pool or, uh, you know, maybe having some sort of a fire pit in, in the property or, um, you know, in beach properties, maybe right out of the gate, we won't put, uh, all the different types of beach equipment that everybody might want. Uh, right away. We get the property to the market. We have people start renting it. And then we do our diligence on all of those other different attributes that are out there. And we start pulling in feedback from our, from our customers too, because, you know, in that short-term rental market, like (laughs) people ask for what they want. (laughs) If you have not provided it, they're going to ask for it, you know, or they're going to, they're going to give you feedback. They're going to continuously say, you know, gosh, this was such a great, great stay. We absolutely loved it. Um, but man, if you guys had a pool, we would be willing to pay you so much more to stay there or our stay would have been this much, this much better. Um, so as time goes by, we start to add on to that until you get to the point within that market. You know, you talked about product market fit, like the perfect product for a, um, for a, a beach property might be uh, oceanfront with a pool and a hot tub, you know, that might be the perfect product. And a lot of times we'll go to that over time, or we won't go to that over time based on what the market feedback we're getting it is. You know, if, if we bring a, a product to market, bring, put that MVP in place in say a small town, um, and it has all that minimum stuff and we're getting booked out to the max, uh, there's no need to bring other different features into, into play. You know, we might just raise prices until we get to a point where, um, that, that, uh, slows down a little bit, honestly. So, you know, that's kind of how we do it. One of the other things that I think is, is interesting, and this isn't necessarily, it's like a, it's a type of MV, MVP. Um, but occasionally when we're going into a new market, we will actually team up with somebody. So, you know, we'll go seek out developers who have just recently built stuff or, or maybe rent a place, um, and put the minimum amount of, 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 uh, effort into it or minimum of amount of stuff to bring that product to market, bring it to market and actually test that market for a three month time frame. Um, shut it down, uh, you know, uh, end that lease. Usually we try to put together three month leases if we're going to do that, but we end that, end that lease, 
shut the shut it down and then analyze the information and the feedback that we got within that three month period. And then we'll go purchase something in that market if we like the feedback that we got. So that's just another way that you can go about doing it. But, you know, in the short short term market, that's how you do it. In any other part of the real estate market, though, it could be just as simple as, you know, starting in a market with something that's that's small, that gets you your bearings and gets kind of your feet wet um, in that market before you decide to go buy, you know, a a big multi-unit or, uh, you know, 10 to 15 more single families in that specific market. So that's kind of the way that I look at it, kind of the way that we look at it from the short-term rental market as well. I love, I love that example. And, uh, I think you hit everything on everything on the head. It's, um, you know, essentially taking that customer data. And I think that's a cool, cool and unique thing about short-term, uh, rental markets is because you're naturally in more high traffic, uh, properties and different folks are coming in and out. You're able to get more feedback quicker over time. Uh, whereas with some of the other properties, obviously you have longer term renters, et cetera, but that is cool. And, and, uh, some of that, those aspects I hadn't really thought about before from the real estate market. So I appreciate you, uh, providing that perspective. Yeah, sure. The, uh, the last one I wanted to cover was similar to the bakery shop example I used earlier. Um, just something I think a lot of times, you know, I've talked a lot with other founders or folks who are like, you know, and I remember this, especially when, when I was in college, um, you know, they're like, well, Hey, I'm, I'm not a software company or I'm not a hardware company, but you know, I'm, I'm want to start my own bakery or, or, you know, some, some small business or brick and mortar type, uh, setup. And, and they're like, well, how, like, what should my MVP be or, or how should I build my MVP? And I think that that's the beauty of the MVP is that no matter what industry and in, I mean, you could see, we just did a software example, a real estate example. We're talking through, you know, literally a bakery shop. Um, it's like, no matter what industry you're in, you can figure out a way to create a, a very minimalist version of your product and then get feedback from users. So for a bakery, you know, I, I feel like a lot of folks might say, Hey, well, if I'm want to have a bakery shop, like I have to go buy a storefront or I have to rent a storefront or do all this. And then I have to make the baked goods and then sell them out of there and people will come and they'll know my bakery shops there. And I would make the argument that that's, you know, if you're starting a bakery shop, I would say maybe that isn't the best first thing to do. Like, you know, if you obviously you've got maybe an established brand, you've got other locations that's different, but if you're in college, you're just, you're just trying to start your own thing fresh off of, you know, leaving another job or, or something else you were working on you know, maybe, you know, the best thing is, Hey, I'm going to make these like super unique pepperoni rolls and I'm going to make them out of my house, right. Where I already am paying my mortgage and, and really my costs will only be the ingredients and things needed to, to just make the pepperoni rolls. And then I'm going to try to sell them to people. And maybe I'll go to gas stations and, or I'll go to uh, other bakeries in town or restaurants and I'll, t- I'll ask them if they'll take my product and sell it to folks. And then you use that as a way to even just see if you can get any kind of early product or traction in it. And, and maybe, you know, one day someone buys your pepperoni roll in a gas station and you happen to be there too. And, and, and you're talking, you ask them, Hey, like, do you buy these a lot? Or do you like them or whatever? And they're like, you know, actually, yeah. Like every Friday after we get off work, I come over to the gas station, pick one up, throw in the microwave and then, you know, grab a six pack of beer and head home. Right. And, and it's like, you can get that feedback and those interactions without having to have, you know, your own shop or your own entire setup. And that allows you to stay lean in your operations as a business, which is really kind of the last like point I wanted to bring up after all these examples is 
running lean in the early stages or being an early stage business is, is the just most important thing you can do. Um, it gives you, you know, the time and, and like the level of efficiency that you have to operate uh, to be able to actually figure out if what you're building is going to be valuable to users. Um, you know, the number one thing that folks who are doing a startup have is time. Uh, you know, like th- that's their biggest opportunity cost. And so if you spend all your time heads down, not talking to users, building stuff, you're essentially kind of wasting your time because you're not actually getting feedback from users. Um, and you might be building something they don't want. So you like building an MVP helps you naturally as a founder or entrepreneur, put your mind like in this frame and mindset of being lean and constantly just thinking like, what is the minimal thing or product or things that I can do to actually get someone to pay me for this, for this product. Um, and I think that it's super important to have that mindset early on because you only have so much time as an entrepreneur, um, when you're building things early. Yep. Yep. I could not, uh, I could not agree more. I think whenever a lot of times when people are starting their own companies, they get so obsessed with, with CapEx because they think that, you know, if they're buying the computer or they're buying the storefront, then, you know, they're in business. Um, and they don't recognize, they get wrapped around that axle. They don't recognize that, you know, the product and the, um, and the customer, really the customer is the most important thing and getting that customer to exchange their hard earned money for your service or your good is what being in business is about. It's not about that CapEx. It's not about that storefront. It's not about that computer that you buy. It's not about the cool, uh, you know, um, the cool CPA software that you just, that you just purchased to run your business or your, your, we've talked about this before, your great business plan that you put so much effort into. It's not about that stuff. It's about the customer. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, I was, it's just interesting. I was, I think I heard on a podcast I was listening to last week, but they were talking, it was other founders and they were just talking about how, if you spend significant amount of time and energy, um, you know, focused or arguing or just thinking about things that aren't the top three important things for your business to succeed, then you're just wasting your time. And I, I, I that was so just interesting because it's like, I'm even just thinking about, um, you know, like the, the pepperoni roll example. It's like, I was naturally as I was talking about it, I was just thinking like, oh, well, like if I was doing that, like, you know, what would like what kind of labels are like, you know, graphic design or, you know, like marketing what I put on that pepperoni roll. And then as I was thinking that I was just like, you know what, like, that doesn't even matter. It's like, I should, I, you know, I could, I should just put a, a literally a sticker on and write with a Sharpie pepperoni roll. Right. It's like at the end of the day, right. you know, if someone <laughs> buys it and they t- it tastes good, like I should be putting time into like, what are the key ingredients that I'm using? Like how long does it need to be baking the oven? Like things that are actually important for, the product, like, obviously don't get me wrong as, as time goes, you know, you'll, you'll get better labels and better marketing and all that stuff. But it's like in the early days, it is super interesting because it's so natural. I think all of us as humans default to want to like, just think about everything or, or how everything is affected by, by the product. But it's like, if you really take the time to think about it, you can probably boil it down to like a top three things that, you know, if you do right, then your product is going to be successful early on. And I think 
putting all of your time and resources into that and understanding what those three things are and honing into them will just do nothing but set you on the right path to, to hopefully be successful. So that was something I heard. That's definitely a, uh, I just stole someone else's wisdom there, but I, I thought it was really cool and fascinating when they said it. The best, the best wisdom that's out there is, is wisdom that you steal from someone else, James. So don't feel bad about doing that. And, and I completely agree, you know, in the pepperoni roll example, you know, you're talking about baking and how to, how to bake it and how to do it, do that side of things, right. And how to make that product something that's good for people. Um, the other thing, and probably even the more important thing is, you know, how am I going to get it in front of people without having a storefront, you know, and that's where you got to start thinking through, okay, where are the, where are the crowds at that want pepperoni rolls? You know, it could just be as simple as, um, I need to go set up, set up a little tent and, and a table at a small local festival, you know, and just get, get those types of things figured out and get the product out there, get people tasting it, get their feedback and then iterate on the product from that point. And, and, you know, to your point, you know, you don't have to have something fancy there. You can simply have Ziploc bags with pepperoni rolls in them that say James Carnes pepperoni roll on it and, uh, you know, sell them for five bucks and, and see what, see what happens. See if people do it. And then later on down the road, when you, when you are big and successful and you get your storefront and you start working hard on your branding and things like that, you can cross those bridges when you get to them. But in the beginning, I mean, that is just such a, such a waste for you to, to spend your time on, in my opinion, um, when you're, you're launching a company like that, because the truth is you don't know if people are going to like your pepperoni rolls. You have to get out there and you have to find that out. Yeah, hundred percent. And you could spend six months trying to craft something in the kitchen, and then after six months, go out and and, and realize your pepperoni rolls are, are honestly trash and no one likes them. But if you would have just done that in month one, you would have realized that maybe built a better, you know, or baked a better one. Yeah, or find out that you know you you don't live in the state of West Virginia and nobody actually likes pepperoni rolls at all. Yeah, that's so funny. That's why that example came up because yeah, that's that's so funny. It's very true. You got to know your market. I think. Uh, if there's one key sentence that gets taken away from today's episode, I think it's just when you're early on in a company and you're building a product, you're in early stage product development, cut the BS, focus on what really matters, nail down those top three things, uh, and then just get feedback and figure out where your customers are, who they are, and where they're at. Um, and, and don't worry about anything else. You know, the, As Norm just said, the rest will flow. And I think that something that is super important that Norm just kind of hit on um, that you don't really think about. I don't think, you know, unless you're, you take the time to you, when you're early on, you really have to take the time to set aside blocked time and think through these things we're talking about. Cause it's so easy to literally just want to be building product or, you know, in the pepper in your old example, baking in the kitchen or in the software example, writing code um, or trying to solve a bug or whatever. And then just forget about, those aspects of actually like taking the time to under better understand the customer. Like you have to not only talk with customers, right. And, and get their feedback and well-documented feedback, right. Like it's not this type of thing where you take your product to someone and they say like, you know, 10 things and you just remember one. It's like, no, you need to remember what all 10 things were. And then you have to go back and unbuy it without your bias, right. Remove your bias, regardless of how good you think your product is, 
remove your bias of, of the, the quality of your product and really listen and hone in onto those 10 things and understand and break down what they're saying. And you have to take actual time to focus on and do that. Like, I'm trying to really stress this because it's, I think so early on as founders, people don't take the time like to actually block off and just say, Hey, for this, like one to two hours, you know, on this Monday or whatever, I'm going to just look at all the customer data we have and try to put myself in the customer's shoes and really think about the problems they have and how our MVP is going to solve it. And I think when you do that, it adds this just unique perspective because it strips all your bias away, allows you to be in the framework and mindset of, of your actual customer, which is really the, fr- the frame set and mindset you want to be in all the time. And as you do that and block dedicated time off, you'll just realize that it will become natural as you are baking in, in uh, you know, the pepperoni rolls or you're building the software you'll now just naturally all the time be thinking like, you know, I do it all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm working on software, working with our engineers on the product. And I'm like, man, like how would, how would the customer really actually use this? Or like, I'll look at a feature, like we built, we've built features before and I'll look at a feature and I'm like, man, we just didn't do this right. Like if I, if I was a customer, like this isn't helping me, you know, this isn't really adding value the way that I want it to. And the more that you get in that mindset was being honest, removing your bias and solely focusing on, customer data, I just think that the sooner you'll have a good product that people will really care about. I I love that. I think that's uh, such, such good points. And thanks for bringing that to us today. James, before we bring this thing in for a landing, is there anything else that you want to you wanna touch on about um, MVP and product development? I think I've covered all the things I wanted to, uh, to cover today. You know, as always, Norman, and I love talking about these things. So if you're listening uh, or you have questions, you know, hit us up on LinkedIn or drop us an email on, on platcapital.co or, or, you know, drop us a contact form on there. We love helping folks out or talking through folks. And we're in the journey along with everyone listening, right? We're each building uh, businesses that, that we're a part of. So we love talking with other founders and, uh, you know, just keep building, keep iterating and keep listening to customers. But I, I love today's episode. I, I had a blast uh, just talking about these things and trying to just bet, help folks better understand how to build that early product. Absolutely. So as James said, uh, come find us over at platcapital.co. That's platcapital.co. You can jump on there. You can learn about the fund. Uh, You can contact myself and James. Uh, You can also listen to the podcast. And, you know, as I've said in the past here, please, you know, on call in or on any other um, platform, please subscribe, uh, leave us comments. Uh, give a give us a thumbs up or thumbs down, regardless of how you feel. We want your feedback. The only way that we get better, the way that we build on our MVP as a podcast, is by getting your feedback. So please, uh, please make sure you do that. Good or bad, we want to hear it. We want to hear from you. So um, uh, please help us out with that and and come find us at any of those any of those locations. So with that, you've been listening to the Pure Capital Podcast. You guys have a great weekend.